Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Family Sanctuary, a show that inspires living the gospel message in word and deed within our families. And now, Family Sanctuary with host Peggy Hartshorn. Welcome to the Family Sanctuary, focusing on life-giving relationships and the family. I'm your host, Peggy Hartshorn chairman of Heartbeat International that advances life-affirming pregnancy help around the world. And we have a subject for you today, uh, a, a wonderful program that I think you'll uh, will, will open your eyes to a lot of, of um, important insights about adoption. And our focus today is on infant adoption, which is not real common anymore. Uh, used to be that um, a lot of infants were adopted at birth. We had many adoption agencies, a lot of Catholic adoption agencies in this country. Uh, but today, only about 2% of, of single moms uh, who are pregnant get uh, actually choose an adoption plan. It's pretty rare. And yet it is a beautiful option and an option that I think a lot of people misunderstand. Uh, just from my own perspective, my husband and I are the parents of two adopted children who were adopted as infants. We had infant adoptions. Uh, our son was born in 1976, our daughter in 79. So that they're in their 40s, early 40s right now. That was a while ago. And adoptions have been declining, infant adoptions, that is. So it's a beautiful option, and people need to know more about it, I truly believe. And I think our our guest, Lisa Kraft, would say the same thing. She's shaking her head as, I, <laughs> as I'm as i telling my story. Welcome to the program, Lisa. Thank you very much for having me today. <laughs> well, thank you for being here and telling your story. Lisa and her husband, Aaron, are adoptive parents of a beautiful little boy, Nathan, mm -hmm. age seven, and you adopted him as an infant. We did. He was three days old when we took guardianship. Wow. Our son, Tim, was three days old mm. when we also uh, picked him up at the hospital and our daughter, Katie, was eight days old. Wow. So it is a beautiful, beautiful option. And it's a beautiful option, not just for birth parents. <laughs> and I see the smile on your face. Mm. Even thinking about the story is is so beautiful. It's a beautiful option for adoptive parents, but it's also a beautiful option for the birth parents and for the child, uh, sometimes called the three members of the adoption triad. We're going to be talking about that today. But there's also a lot of misunderstanding about infant adoption, and particularly, I think, about birth parents, um, and as well about the child. People wondering, will this child ever really be happy or settled away from his or her birth parents? How could that be? It's such a primal bond, that bond between mother and child. Or they may be thinking, which often people said to my husband and me when we adopted, we'd be uh, in a group and they'd meet our, our little baby and they would say, oh, what a wonderful thing you adopted him, but how could his mother ever give him away? And that's, that is unfortunately a perspective that many people have. It's a great option for birth parents, but not, or, or for adoptive parents, I should say, but not necessarily for birth parents. How can they ever adjust to that? So Lisa, I know you have a beautiful story, you and Aaron and Nathan, and you can address some of these issues uh, that 
that I've brought up with infant adoption. So tell us a little bit, uh, particularly about this birth mother issue, because it's such a seems to be a stumbling block for a lot of people with with infant adoption, wondering about the choice of the birth mother. Um, How could she ever give her child away? Uh, She must be a bad mother. That's what some people think. Mm. So what do you think about that? (laughs) I think the exact opposite of being a bad mother. I mean, what a heroic and courageous decision she made by um, putting her child above her own needs to be a mom. She could have made an easy choice and had an abortion. Those are, you know, very, they're not hard to get anymore, Mm -hmm. but she chose life um, knowing that, you know, she wasn't going to be raising this child. I mean, how many people would do that? That's uh, that, that is a heroic choice. And, I can't express enough the love and appreciation and respect we have for their decision to allow us to parent their son. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the case of your birth mother and her name is Amy, is that Amy, correct? Yes. Uh, and you have an open adoption now. We do. Yes. So, so you know about her story. I do. I do. So tell us how that was a heroic choice for her. Well, um, let me give you a little background on how we ended up, you know, on kind of how the, the adoption, um, happened. We received a call. Um, I was at work and it was the adoption agency saying that a baby boy had just been born and he was premature and the, um, adoptive or the birth parents were just getting ready to start their adoption plan and wanted to know if we were available for a call. So, of course, we said yes. And during the course of the call, they asked us um, just a lot of questions about our family values, um, what was important to us and as far as um, education and um, our family structure and cousins and just, you know, our faith, just how, you know, how would this this child fit into our mix and at the, um, you could really tell it was important for them um, to make sure we were a good fit for their child. And they probably had a profile ahead They'd, of time. Yes. So you had made a profile with a lot of detail. That's the way adoptions are done today. With a video, as well as um, a detailed adoption um, profile with pictures and, um, you know, um, you know, our likes and dislikes and kind of our, our you know, our, our value structure. So birth um, parents today have have that opportunity to look through, I don't know how many files um, of, of adoptive parents that they can kind of match with their own values and so forth. Um, so they had already done that and, and they had chosen you and asked for a phone conversation. That was the process. Mm-hmm. So then they were just double checking a lot of what they had seen <laughs> and you're yeah. listening to your voice. I'm sure. Yeah. Thinking, um, uh, wondering, of course, what you sounded like. And, um, obviously they were pleased because then they, they did choose you as the adoptive they did. family. They did. Nathan was born in Florida, so we hopped on a an airplane the next day. It was kind of like that Jamie Lee Curtis book. Tell me uh, again about the the day I was born. <laughs> and um, uh, from the moment we walked into the hospital room, Amy was holding Nathan at the time. Um, it was, I mean, she just handed him right over and said, "Here, come and meet your son." And it was unbelievable the love and um, the unselfishness that she had in letting us bond with Nathan, you know, right away. Um, she told me during, you know, the next two days that we spent together that uh, she was raised by a single mom 
and it was hard. She said she did not want the same for her child. Um, while she and Andy, the birth father, were together, you know, there was there were no guarantees. They weren't married. Um, and she wanted to know that her son was going to um, have an have an upbringing that she didn't have. Hmm. That that has to be such a, a loving and heroic choice. And it it's so sad that so many people, I think, today uh still don't realize that somehow um, birth mother, bad mother comes to mind. How could she ever give her child away? And yet knowing the stories of some of these heroic birth moms, as I do through our work in pregnancy help and, and, and your story, Amy's story being another example. um, It really is such an unselfish choice, such a beautiful choice. And um, so, so now you have an, an open adoption, we and, do. and you get, did, I think you said that, uh, was it after the first year when you met with Amy again, that you could see, uh, a peacefulness had come on her about, about the adoption? Yes. Thanks for letting me talk about that. During the first year, we conference called with them at least once a month just to let them know that he was hitting milestones. Hey, he crawled today. He's on solid foods. You know, we're you know, just to kind of let them know um, and reassure Everything them was that normal yeah, and- <laughs> things were progressing as they should. And then um, as uh, we went down to Florida on his first first birthday and they threw a little birthday party down there for him. And for example, he got a new toy and he, he came over and he, I was the first person he showed. And I was talking to Amy, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit later in the, in our meeting. And she said in our visit, I should say, and she said that was so reassuring to her that we had bonded. She could just, you know, she could see you know, that was my child and mm-hmm. I was his mom. Mm-hmm. And um, she said she just felt the weight of the world because hearing it on the phone is one thing, but actually seeing it in practice said it took all, you know, she was so reassured that she had made the right decision for her son. Sure. I know. And even with the, uh, when our two children were adopted. Adoption was a very closed process and everyone had to sign uh, statements that we didn't know each other and that we would not try to contact uh, each other. And at that point, people really truly thought that was the best thing. That was the best thing for the adopted child, for the birth parents and for the adoptive parents, that it would it would uh, increase bonding and, and family cohesiveness and so forth. Um, that has been rethought through the years, but even with closed adoptions, in many cases, agencies and, and attorneys who handled adoptions, and that was the case uh, in our adoption, would allow letters to pass forth mm-hmm. or, or, or with the adoption agency or the attorney as a, a middle person helping to uh, assure the birth mother that the child was healthy, that everything was progressing normally, that the child was he- uh, happy, and then helping birth par- helping adoptive parents like my husband and me know that the birth moms were peaceful with their decisions. So even even when adoptions were closed, sometimes those avenues were available to make sure that uh, everyone was peaceful uh, about the decision, although that was not always the case. So now with open adoption, it really is uh, a blessing, I believe. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the program, too, about how adoption affects all the members of the triad. Uh, but but tell me about the challenges. We know that that it's, it's a wonderful alternative um, and it, it blesses all 
all the members of the triad. But what about the challenges? Let's talk about particularly the challenges from the perspective of the adoptive couple. The challenges of even being able to do an infant adoption in this day and age. Once in the case, everybody has their own adoption story. In the case of my husband and I, we tried um, uh, to conceive naturally. Went through um, for you know, went through down the road of the infertility journey, um, and uh, decided pretty quickly on we didn't. It wasn't for us. We didn't want to you know to have a baby that way, and um, knew that we had a lot of love to give. So we decided the adoption route. And once you decide to adopt, I mean. There's so much paperwork to do. Um, and, uh, it can get, it can get really overwhelming. And so many avenues. I oh, mean, there's so many even, decisions. Sure. Even finding the agencies, uh, choosing an agency, um, or, or a private adoption through a probate court. There's so many options. By the way, before you continue, and I, I want to continue with the, the story there with your challenges, but, one of the things that is available to help people now, I'm so pleased here in the Diocese of Columbus, Elizabeth Ministries that you're involved in, in St. Paul's in Westerville, is a wonderful group, works one-on-one, woman-to-woman, family-to-family, to really help people who have infertility issues, uh, uh, questions about adoption. There are people in your group who have had infant adoption, uh, foster child to uh, adoption, international adoption that can really help people through the maze. Was that available when you were going through this? Did 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 Elizabeth Ministry help you sort through all these challenges? Uh, the timing was really good. Um, Elizabeth Ministry started at St. Paul's right when we were, had just finished our adoption paperwork. So oh, wow. they were very, uh, so I was able, you know, there's a lot of emotional swings that can happen. You know, once you are waiting to be matched, um, you know, for, a, a, you know, a, a birth parent and, and uh, the adoptive parents to, to connect. Um, it can have a lot of emotional swings. You can feel like fertility is kind of all around you and it can feel very, you can feel very alone. And then once you are matched, you kind of hold a little bit back because you're still nervous that it could disrupt. And w- the Elizabeth Ministry, that's where they were a, a wonderful resource. Um, they could share their personal stories and similar experiences and as well as support and encourage and just assist during this. It's a special time, but it's also a very stressful time. Absolutely. Well, if you just tuned in, our guest for our program is Lisa Kraft, and we're talking about infant adoption today. Lisa and her husband, Aaron, uh, have the blessing of being able, having been able to adopt their son, Nathan. So we're talking about infant adoption and the challenges, the blessings uh, about birth mothers and birth families and all members of the triad. Um, and Lisa is part of a wonderful ministry at St. Paul's in Westerville. If you're interested in that ministry, Elizabeth Ministry, that does work with women who have infertility issues, uh, adoption, uh, grieving loss, whether from miscarriage, abortion. It's just a wonderful group of women who who are matched one-on-one with other women going through these kinds of issues related to our gift of fertility. So uh, the number at St. Paul's is 614-882-2109. And ask for Elizabeth Ministries. If you're interested in infant adoption or there are people 
in Elizabeth Ministries who also have gone through adoption from foster care and international adoption, uh, infertility issues of all, all types. So I'm so thankful for that ministry. So getting back to Lisa and your story with infant adoption, the ch- we were talking about the challenges that you had to face, the emotional ups and downs. Um, I suppose while you were even making the decision to adopt and then after your application had been accepted, when you were waiting to be matched, those emotional ups and downs, uh, the phenomenal amount of, of paperwork, decisions involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knew? I mean, there's a pri- there's private agencies, there's national adoption agencies, there's international adoption, there's foster care adoption, there's kinship adoption. There is, do you want an open adoption or closed adoption? Or they even have a semi-open adoption mm-hmm. um, where it's just kind of letters, uh, letters and pictures. Do you, um, you know, is the medical history of the birth mother important? Uh, there's just so many um, questions to answer and think through that, you know, if you were conceiving naturally, you wouldn't be thinking about any of those questions, obviously. <laughs> so it's just, it, it can be overwhelming. Um, and that's where I don't know how many times I leaned on others who have been through the process to say, is this really, a, you know, what's important in all of this? You know, what should I be focusing on? What if I make the wrong decision here? And at the end of the day, there is no wrong decision because you are opening your heart up to love another child. There's there's no wrong decision in whatever you put down on mm-hmm. your, your profile. Mm-hmm. And you then, I suppose, a tremendous amount of prayer involved uh, in all that. Yes. And to know yeah. that you have this group of women praying for you every day. And that was the, my first the women email. women at Elizabeth Ministry. Yes. And that mm-hmm. when I got, when we got the call that we were going down to Florida, that was my first email was to that group um, saying, please pray. Um, I was getting, you know, daily, you know, I was getting, you know, hourly text messages from different members. We're praying, keep us posted. And then once the, once we were home with Nathan, uh, the celebration, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, here is a, here is this, you know, you know, God's plan mm-hmm. for us to be a family was with this child. Mm-hmm. And, um, we had a wonderful uh, celebration. They threw a surprise baby shower for us. So <laughs> not only were they there through some of the harder times, but they're also there uh, to celebrate. To celebrate. That's beautiful. Well, one of the things when when uh, we're involved in adoption, and as I mentioned, my husband and I have, have two adopted children now who are married, and we have five grandchildren. We see the effects of adoption in succeeding generations, which is a beautiful thing to see. Uh, but we really believe strongly in in the fact that adoption is a beautiful choice for all the members of what we call the the adoption triad it's kind of a little jargon term used in adoption uh explain that term would you uh, sure. the adoption triad and the members of this of this threesome this triad and and tell us your um story on on the blessings for all members of that triad sure um, for those that don't know, the adoption triad is actually a, it's just a triangle symbol that demonstrates the relationship between the birth parents, the adoptive parents, and the child. The child being adopted is at the tip of the triangle, and they are the, the top priority in this relationship. So it's all about making sure they are, they are the priority. And that's true in the case of our family and our adoption triad. The fact that Amy and Andy put their son up for adoption shows that they put the needs of their son above their own needs. We continue to do the same every day um, with giving him and receiving from him love. So 
um, our adoption triad is made even stronger by our open adoption. We have had birthdays with our son's family, uh, birth family, and we visit at least once a year. We have regular communication and enjoy celebrating his milestones. We have others. um, Adoption isn't new to our families. We have others in our family that have adopted. And um, as they've grown, they've had questions about their birth family. And with the relationship that we have, if later in life, Nathan has questions, he can ask those directly. Uh, We also have full medical history from our son's birth family. Mm -hmm. So if something comes up medically, I just call Amy or Andy and say, hey, this is what we're seeing. Was this on either of your sides of the family? Um, And I'll be honest, the concept of open adoption was really hard for our families to understand. I think they were concerned that if Nathan had a relationship with his birth parents, he wouldn't want a relationship with Aaron and I, when in reality, the opposite is true. Um, it just solidifies even stronger our faith and our confidence in our bond that we have with our son um, to allow him that, you know, not to allow, but to for him to have a relationship. I mean, they were the foundation for his life. They chose to give birth and he need, you know, we are going to foster that relationship as long as it, it works for him. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is kind of interesting, I think, in our day and age that children have a lot of uh, family structures around them that are not what they were, that the kind of typical family structure of the 1950s and the 19, early 1960s, for instance, when when my husband and I were growing up, uh, I think we only knew one family that actually had divorce in their family. Um, And in that case, there weren't actually even foster pair, or I should say, uh, neither, neither the husband or wife had remarried. So they weren't that there wasn't um, there weren't stepchildren and, and so forth and so on. So today, however, there are so many family structures that are, are not as well defined, <laughs> uh, children do have um, half brothers and sisters. They have foster parents. Sometimes there are several sets of grandparents. It's interesting because I think as I look at that, it's amazing to me all of the different love relationships that children have. It's not disruptive. In, in most cases, for them to have those kinds of love relationships, as long as the the core family relationships are strong, as in your case, exactly. you know, uh, the core family relationships are strong. And so it doesn't threaten them to have other love relationships, apparently. In our case, the adoptions were closed, as I mentioned. So I haven't experienced an open adoption. But if from from your story, it sounds like it's it's working out beautifully. And I know other adoptive families that have open adoptions where that's the case. Would you say that the open adoption, uh, the 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 um, what do I want to say? The um, opportunities to have connection with the um, birth parents decrease through the years. Is that is that true? Do you see that in the beginning, I think you said you were calling them frequently, giving them the milestones. Uh, you had birthday parties. Do you see those uh, connections decreasing in frequency? I do. Um, and I think that's kind of natural as the relationship 
you know, progresses. They had so much uncertainty and concern that they made the right decision, um, placing him in our care. And once those concerns were alleviated, you know, they saw firsthand that he, you know, he is, he sees us as his parents. We are his parents and that bond is there. And, um, so I, and, and they've gotten on with their own lives, you know, I mean, Amy's got a very successful career in banking. Andy has his own business. I mean, they just, there's a lot going on. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that just naturally happens, but they, you know, with the wonders of social media and Facebook, uh, they see regular updates. I don't hide anything from them. Mm-hmm. Um, they have full access to everything I post out to any other friend or family members. So they can watch him grow up from Facebook also. <laughs> Let's talk about, um, telling Andy or Andy understanding, or I'm sorry, Nathan, your son, Nathan, yeah. understanding the story of his adoption. Um, because he's, he's obviously, as you say, the top of the triad, mm-hmm. he's the most important. How have you helped him understand his story? Um, from the beginning, we spoke about it, even when he's, you know, uh, we, even when he was six months old, we were mentioning Amy and Andy to him and that, that they loved him. And that's how he were his forever family. And I made a, a book that shows our, you know, the four of us together with Nathan down in Florida with his birth grandparents. Um, and then so his. Uh, the love that he had down in Florida. And then when he came home in the showers and everybody meeting us at the airport, mm-hmm. those pictures kind of combined to show this is my extended family. These are the people who Here's love my story. me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I know uh, when we adopted our children, um, the, the baby books of those days, there were a few companies that uh, that had baby books that actually had pages for my adoption story. <laughs> so I think that's so important. And just answering the questions as they come along exactly. with Andy. Um, uh, he, he, whatever questions he asks, you're very open and willing to share. Right. I mean, it's not part of our daily discussion anymore, but if Nathan has a question, we just answer it directly and honestly. Yeah. So you, you have a beautiful story of, of adoption, Lisa, you and Aaron, your husband and, and your son, Nathan. Um, and, and I love the, um, the the love that you have for his birth mother, his birth parents, the beautiful choice that they made, the importance of all members of the triad being blessed in this adoption relationship. Thank you so much, Lisa, for telling your story. No, thank you for giving um, me this opportunity. <laughs> and the number again for St. Paul's, if you're interested in Elizabeth Ministry and getting support in any of these related issues from Elizabeth Ministry, 614-882-2109. And you're all listening to the Family Sanctuary on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, and I'm your host, Peggy Hartshorn, with archives at stgabrielradio.com. The Family Sanctuary is broadcast at 4 o'clock every Saturday and 2 o'clock on Sundays. So please join us again to strengthen our families and make them sanctuaries of life as God intends. Family Sanctuary is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Family Sanctuary with Peggy Hartshorn are available at stgabrielradio.com. 